seated. As we come to this time of our worship, I think it's good for us to remember. So we've been trying to emphasize the past few Sundays, Lord says, as we come to this time. It is a blessing to be God's people. It is a blessing to be His people. It is a blessing to be together. And part of blessing to be His people is that we have His word entrusted to us. And we all have copies of our Bible and our language. We can understand. It's a blessing to be His. It's a blessing to have His Word entrusted to us. So in that blessing, let's take our copies of God's Word now. And we'll turn to our two passages for this morning. We'll look first at Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. And then we'll turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. So Colossians 2, 13 and 14, and 2 Corinthians 5, 21. Calendar is weird this year used to having Advent start the Sunday after Thanksgiving, but because of the way the calendar falls, we have this extra Sunday. Advent will begin next Sunday. Uh, so it's this kind of weird Sunday we have, and we have, we've reached a, a natural stopping point in our study of Acts. Uh, so we're in this weird post-Thanksgiving, uh, pre-Advent Sunday. Uh, but with that in mind, we don't want to go any further in our Acts study. We don't want to begin Advent uh, we're going to think this morning on Thanksgiving. We're a few days late on that. But it's always good to think about Thanksgiving. We're going to think especially on the theological meaning of what it means to be a thankful people. Why have a holiday? Why this emphasis? What's the theological meaning of what it means to be a thankful people? And we'll have our two passages guide us in that discussion this morning. Uh, so let's go now to the Lord to ask for his continued blessings in our time together. Lord, it is indeed a blessing to be your people, to be gathered together here at Bethel as your particular people here, and the blessing of your word, because all this points us to you, that you so loved us, you saved us. You so loved your people here in Winsboro, you've given us this church. You so care for us, that you've given to us your word. So in this blessing, may it continue this morning. May we as your people gather to gathered together this morning, be blessed by the ministry of your spirit, the ministry and presence of your spirit. So we may hear your word, may we understand it, may we be changed by it, may we be blessed through the ministry of your word. Use me as a blessing, bless your people, so we may continue to be a blessing to you, to our community, and to all the places you've called us to live and to be. We praise now in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll begin in Colossians 2 and then turn to our 2 Corinthians passage. Let's stand together now for the reading of God's word. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with his legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. In 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. You may be seated. So if you like controversy, if you enjoy stirring up debate, 
All you have to do in this time and season is ask the question, is it ever too early to celebrate Christmas? Adrian knows I'm going to talk about this, so he's leaving the room because he doesn't want to be a part of this discussion. Uh-oh. <laughs> that gets the emotions stirred up, doesn't it? Is it ever too early to celebrate Christmas? We're going to take it a little bit deeper. Can we, in our rush to Christmas, either overlook Thanksgiving or even shortchange Thanksgiving? Just let us get through that time so we can get to the, to the real holiday, what we really enjoy of, of Thanksgiving. Now, I think it's in large part due to social media that there's this ongoing debate. Be rather energetic, rather lively, the debate about these questions are had. And of course, as with anything, most days you're going to find a variety of opinions on this matter. There are some who say, absolutely not. It's never too early to celebrate Christmas. And to make their point, they'll go on social media and they'll post a picture of, of a calendar where you see November and December. And all the days in November and December, except for Thanksgiving Day, but all the rest of the days are circled and labeled Christmas. So from November 1st to December 31st, it's all Christmas except for, for Thanksgiving Day. Right? It's never too early to celebrate Christmas for them. Uh, put up a tree in September. Play uh, Christmas music and carols and hymns all year round. Christmas is more than a day or a month to them. It's never too early to celebrate Christmas. Another end, there are those who are adamant that Christmas should never be observed until after Thanksgiving has had its full due. So there's no uh, Christmas decorations, no Christmas music, no Christmas tree until after Thanksgiving. I put all my cards on the table, that's the kind of family I grew up in. Christmas music was not played until after Thanksgiving. Now, as soon as Thanksgiving is done, we pull out our copies of uh, Lily Nelson's Pretty Paper, Sandy Patty's, the, the gift goes on, a very special Christmas, Nike Co., all that, but not until after Thanksgiving. There's no Christmas until you had Thanksgiving. And again, I'm sure there are a variety of views on that here this morning. Some of you have already been to Christmas spirit for several weeks already, right, Adrian? Amen. But no matter where you stand on this issue, never too early, there's a proper time for it. I trust we all agree. Uh, that Thanksgiving is important. That Thanksgiving is, is important, not just as, as a holiday, uh, not just as a, as a few days or weekends, but as a state of Christian mind and heart. And what we find when we read through Scripture is that Thanksgiving is meant to be part of the Christian DNA. Can you imagine a Christian who isn't thankful? Can you imagine being a Christian without finding something to be thankful for. Came across an article recently where, where the author said this, Thanksgiving is extremely theological because it is a celebration of God's providential hand upon the beloved people and recognition of his divine mercy. Thanksgiving is very deeply rooted in scripture. It's meant to be a part of who we are as Christians. We are meant to be a thankful person to, to, to be a thankful people, to, to be a Christian means you're to be thankful. Not just out of one day, one day out of a year for a few days. It's meant to be a part of, of who we are. 
When we were serving the, the White Oak congregation in Georgia, our, the church took part in a local Thanksgiving community service with other local churches. And we had it on the Sunday evening before Thanksgiving. There was a rotation of pastors who would preach each year. And, and one year it was my turn in rotation to, to preach at the service. The week before, I'm sitting in my study. I'm trying to think about what I'm going to preach on. I'm trying to prepare for it. Church Secretary Gail came in to show me a school project that her fourth grade son had did on Thanksgiving. And we've all seen these projects. He had taken his hand and traced it and then colored it to look like a turkey. And under it he wrote this, Be thankful for everything you have. I am thankful for my church. I am thankful for my good handwriting. Side note, he had horrible handwriting. Last but not least, I am thankful for my family and friends. And when you cut through all of it, that's the spirit of Thanksgiving, isn't it? Be thankful for everything you have. Which means Thanksgiving isn't just what happens on one day. It's a way of life. Thankful for everything God provides in our lives. We are all testimonies of how good God is, aren't we? God has taken good care of his people. So in the Christian faith, Thanksgiving isn't just a holiday. It's just not a one-time activity. It's meant to be a part of who we are, that we are to be a thankful people. A part of our life, part of our duty as Christians is to look around at the abundant blessings of God in our lives. And in that, to be brought to this spirit of thankfulness. But what we find in Scripture is a true spirit of thankfulness goes deeper than the material blessings and how much food we have, our home, our clothes, all that we should be thankful for. But it goes deeper than that. Christian biblical thanksgiving goes to the very core of our souls and to what God has done to bring us to salvation. So biblically speaking, thanksgiving begins with who we used to be. To be thankful is to understand and in a sense embrace who we used to be. I want you to think about that with me as, as, through what Paul says to the Colossian church where he says, and you, and Paul was writing this in so easy to say, and, and y'all who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. I think you have to appreciate Paul's straightforward manner of, of handling theology. He's writing to the church of the Colossians. And so by extension to us, he, he asks the questions, do y'all know who you used to be? You, you Christians and, 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 and Colossian Christians, do you, are you aware of your spiritual history? Are you uh, aware of, of who you used to be? Well, if not, let me answer for you. You were dead. You were, you were a dead man. You were a dead woman. You were spiritually dead in your sins and your trespasses. And this isn't like, you know, sort of dead, kind of dead, mostly dead. This is all the way dead. There was no life, no movement, no pulse. That we were, we were all dead. We had all coded on that spiritual gurney. And y'all who were dead, dead as a door. Now, dead as dead could be in your trespasses, the uncircumcision of your faith. Of course, the death here Paul's talking about is direct reference to our spiritual death. That's what he says later to the church in Ephesus in Ephesians 2.1. And you, y'all, 
were dead in the trespasses and sins. Paul's making it very plain and clear here, isn't he? He's making it very simple to understand. Do you know who you used to be? You used to be dead. You were spiritually dead because you are a sinner who sins. And this is a universal condition. This isn't just for those who were born in this time or this region or this context. This has been true since, the, uh, since Adam and Eve and their offspring. You were spiritually dead. You were born dead because we are sinners who sin. Now, I've found that this can be um, uh, troublesome to Christians. That at one time, if someone would take the pulse of our soul, they would find nothing. And I think why it's troublesome is we'll come to this here in a moment is because if we're dead, if we're spiritually dead, then what can we do to make us spiritually alive? What power does a does a dead person have to make themselves alive? And Christians don't always like to grapple with that question. Because to realize our spiritual death makes us realize our spiritual hopelessness and our spiritual helplessness. But Paul is emphatic about this. We see it, he writes here in Colossians, um, how he writes it. We see he repeats it again in, in, in Ephesians. Uh, when he's writing this letter to the Colossians, he had a secretary named Tertius. And we can almost imagine as he's, as he's dictating this in Tertius, he's kind of jabbing the air with his finger. Uh, and y'all, y'all who were dead, your, your sins and your trespasses. And this emphasis is continued as he explains why we are in this condition. Not that somebody else made us this way. It's because of ourselves, of our trespasses. It's because of our, of our sin. There's, there's no other reason for our condition, for our being dead, than, than our own sin. And, and so what, what Paul has done here, theologically, he's painting us into a corner. And he's, and he's not allowing us to, to point the finger and to pass the blame for our condition. Like we're, we're not sitting there and, and, and able to point a finger. Well, I'm spiritually dead because of him. Or her, I'm spiritually dead because I had such a rotten mother or, or, or an absentee mother or an absentee father. Uh, we're not even allowed to blame the devil. We can't sit there and shrug our shoulders. Oh, yeah, the devil made me do it. The finger can only be pointed in one direction. And it's at ourselves. Why are we spiritually dead? Because of me. Because of, because of our actions. Here, right here from God's word, explained that our, our condition was brought on by our own personal sins. We can't, can't lay the blame on anybody else. It's our fault. Short catechism defines sin as being any want of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. So sin is not doing what God's told us to do. Not doing what God's told us to do, are doing what He has told us not to do. There's two things conformity, transgression. Well, that's about 100% of our lives right there, isn't it? It's 100% of our sins. And that's what's caused us spiritual death. But Paul, as he likes to do, he likes to take it further. You are spiritually dead. 
because you're born a sinner, you're born sinners, but because you also continue to live in that sinful condition. So he says here, the uncircumcision of your flesh, he means your state of guilt, your condition of continued sinfulness, and your continue to live in sin. So it's not only a matter of who we are, a matter of what we have done, but it's also a matter of what we are still doing. Y'all were spiritually dead, your sins and trespasses, and y'all are still living in those sins. Happy Thanksgiving. Thank you. Pass the turkey, you spiritual zombie. This is who you were. This is who you are. And this is what you continue to live as. That's not good news, is it? It's not what we want to hear the period being put at. And that's the end of the story. But Paul is giving us bad news so he can get the good news. Paul is explaining our condition. So he can lead into where thanksgiving comes in. Their story doesn't end here. Because look at what he says. This is what our conditions were. But now look at what's been done about our condition. Verse 13 and 14. God made alive together with him. Having forgiven us all our trespasses. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with his legal demands. This he set aside nailing it to the cross. So Paul, in, in that faithful uh, exposition of the gospel, this is who you were. Y'all were dead in your sins and trespasses. But now from death comes life. And where he has painted us into the corner of where we have to admit to ourselves, we are spiritually dead, there is nothing we can do. What does he do? He points us to the one who can do something. He points us to the one who will do something. He points us to the only one who loves us enough to do exactly what needs to be done to bring us from death to life. And who is that? It is God himself. God, the triune God, made us alive together with him. We who were dead, we who had coded on that spiritual gurney, we who have no spiritual life, there's no goodness in us, there's nothing appealing to the Holy God in us, to Him. This God comes to make us alive in Him. Nothing we can do, but only that of the Creator and Sustainer of life. And there's something interesting here, we're going to delve into briefly, but I don't want to go too far with it, because I can go, we can lose track this way. What is the first occasion we can think of in Scripture where God gives life? It's in Genesis. He creates Adam. And how did he give Adam life? He breathed it into him. God gave his life. Not in the death sense breathed life, his life, into Adam to make him alive. Through the second Adam, Jesus Christ, God breathes his life back into us. He has taken a spiritually 
dead person and has breathed life back into us. We could give ourselves chest compressions. We could do CPR to ourselves. But God, the perfect God, the triumph God, came to give life back to his people. And there's only one way he could do it. Having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with his legal demands. How is life given through forgiveness of our sins? But we're talking about it here in, in a legal sense. Right? Canceling the record of debt that stood against us with his legal demands. What Paul is reminding us here is that the law in salvific terms, the law in salvation terms, declares us guilty. If we were to try to earn our salvation by the law, we would fail and we would fail miserably. And when we would go to that courtroom and stand before God as the judge and our whole life was lived out. And the evidence was supposed to bring us to salvation because of our obedience to the law. It would show, testimony would show time and time again how we have failed. And the gavel would strike the podium and we would be declared guilty. Every one of us over and over again declared guilty. But what did God do? He forgave us. Not just forgiveness, but by canceling the record of debt as if that debt never stood against us. As if every sin we had committed had not been committed. Every transgression of our conformity to the law had never been committed. And how was that done? We will get to that in a moment. And that's where 2 Corinthians comes in. But we need to understand that our life comes to dead people. Because God has chosen to forgive us of our trespasses, canceling the record of debt that stood against us with his legal demands. And 2 Corinthians tells us he did this by setting it aside, nailing it to the cross. If we've been um, in our around church for any time or period in our life, we are, we're some level familiar with the story of the crucifixion. We could, we could probably um, recount some facts, most facts we, we can go through. What Paul does here is he takes the cross, he presents it to us in legal ways so that we can understand life. How is it you are brought back to life? How is forgiveness given to bring you back to life? It's at the cross of Jesus Christ. Nailing it to the cross. Salvation can only begin at the cross of Jesus Christ. In order for us to even have that mustard seed of faith, there had to be a cross. That's the message Paul is sharing here. The law demands, in salvific terms, law demands we go to hell. 
But the cross gives us life. And in order for you to have faith, in order for me to have faith, there had to be a cross. There had to be a cross to satisfy the wrath of God, to satisfy the legal demands against us because we are sinners. There's nothing less, nothing more. There has to be the cross. All possible. This is all true. Because Jesus, the Son of God, went to a cross and nailed upon it. And 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin. Go back to your Old Testament uh, lessons, Sunday school stories, maybe in VBS. And we think about how in the Old Testament they had sacrifices. And what was the point of the sacrificial lamb was for the priest to come and lay his hands upon the lamb and for the sins of the people to be put upon that lamb to be sacrificed. Over and over and over again. Perfect lamb, no blemish. Can't even, read, can't even read the Ten Commandments, have no concept of them. Sin to the people, laid upon that perfect lamb to point us to the one who for our sake was made to be sin, who knew no sin. How are we given life? How's the legal demands of the law uh, forgiven against us and salvific demands? How are we given this eternal life? It's because Jesus was nailed onto the cross. It wasn't just he was nailed onto the cross. He was nailed as our sins. And, and the idea here isn't that, um, that our sins were laid on him like a cloak that covers his shoulders. Look at what Paul says here. For our sake, he made him made. Not laid upon him. Not, not anything. Made him to be sin who knew no sin. Think about what that means. Every single one of your sins was on Jesus on the cross. The perfect Lamb of God, the Son of God Himself, who never, ever sinned, on the cross, He was made to be your sin. So that he could be nailed to take upon the wrath of God for our sins. He was our substitute. He was the one who took on the legal demands of sin and sinfulness so that our guilt could be taken away. God can do nothing greater for us than what has already been done for us in Jesus Christ. And to bring us to life, to forgive us of the law, he put his son on the cross to be our sins, for him to take upon the wrath of the Father for us. This is who we are as Christians. Foundationally, to know that we have a God who so loves us that the Father sends the Son. And the Son so loves us 
that he willfully was nailed to the cross to become every one of your public and private sins so that he would never have to face the wrath of God for legal demands of that. No longer as a Christian does law stand against you. No longer are we spiritually dead. No longer does God stand against us. We have been brought from death to life. We are now children of the living God, heirs of heaven, co-heirs with Jesus Christ. This is why we are to be a thankful people. A couple years ago, I had in mind I was going to fry a turkey for my family for Thanksgiving. Because what's Thanksgiving without a turkey? And I go to fry it, and I make the mistake of there being too much oil in the pot. So as I'm battling the flames, I end up losing the turkey. So thankfully, we knew a family who was having Thanksgiving. We were able to go get turkey from them, so we kept turkey for Thanksgiving. Could we still be a thankful people if there was no turkey of Thanksgiving? No ham, no deviled eggs, no green beans. Could we still be thankful? And the gospel tells us yes. Thankful that God loves us in such a way that we were bought such a price. Thankful that Christ is our Christ, that he took upon the wrath we each deserve. It's interesting to note that each of our passages is found in the middle of sections of teaching Christians how they should live daily. What's Paul teaching us? The gospel changes us. No longer are we dead, but we are alive. No longer are we guilty, but we are reconciled. No longer are we enemies of God, but we are now children. And therefore, we should be thankful. So no matter where we may stand on the debate of how soon is too soon for Christmas, if you have your, if you had your tree up for a month now or haven't put it up or you've never taken it down, it doesn't matter where we stand on that debate. What matters is where we stand on thankfulness. And through the gospel of Jesus Christ, we know every reason we have to be thankful. Y'all were dead. And now y'all are alive because of Jesus Christ. Let's pray.